Yes. 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 Radio. Radio Free Wales. Yes. Good evening. It's the 11th of May 2022. I'm Sean Jobbins. This is Radio Yes Cymru. It's time for independence. Yes. 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 Our guest tonight is from Belfast. He's a member of People Before Profit Party and a Gaelic language commentator. His name's Sorley McGeer. Welcome to the programme, Sorley. Thanks very much, Gwen Reel and Wygat, for having me. Look, the people interested here in what's happened in the Northern Ireland election last week, we're interested in what's going to happen in terms of you know Irish reunification, and then I'm interested, obviously, in the Irish language situation up in the north as well. So loads of things discussed in the next 40 minutes or so. So maybe if you could start us, or, yeah, maybe just to give an overview of the election for the Northern Ireland Assembly, who won, what were people disappointed, what are people thinking after week after it? Yeah, well, uh, very clearly two clear winners in, in this election. Um, certainly Sinn Féin uh, came out as the largest party and that's uh, quite a historic thing symbolically anyway in terms of um, the very fact that they were the first, um, it's the first time that a nationalist party in the north here has been the, the, the largest party. The DUP, um, who had previously held that mantle and, and unionist parties, of course, going back to the foundation of the state, had always been um, uh, the, the largest representation in Stormont. Um, uh, the DUP, in this case, uh, fallen behind by a few seats. Um, and Sinn Féin had had a strong election in 2017 and had have again kind of added to their um, their vote preference and uh, have maintained their uh, seats and really uh, alongside them was the Alliance Party who obviously Sinn Féin they um, come from you know Republican background they're uh, the largest nationalist party here um, the Alliance Party would uh, designate as other in Stormont Stormont has the peculiarity where every party has to designate as either nationalist unionist or right. other and the Alliance Party also had a bit of a surge this election um, and the big losers really essentially were the DUP um, while they managed to, to scramble and hold on to most of their seats. Um, they have overseen a, a, a substantial, sh- you know, fall in their vote share, um, and really, from their point of view, have to kind of suffer the ignominy of uh, losing out on the the first minister role, the largest party role to a nationalist party for the first time. Um, so those are kind of the, the bare numbers, really. And obviously, Sinn Féin are very happy. I think. Uh, Essentially, I think they were quite surprised by the extent, maybe, of the turnout for them. I think they expected to be the biggest party. Certainly, the polls in the run-up to the election predicted that. But there was some question about whether or not they would maintain their vote, whether there would be a slight fall or slight growth. Um, and much of the analysis um, since polling day last week has has really pointed to the fact that a lot of people, certainly Sinn Féin, of course, have a very strong vote here across the North um, and were predicted to do well. But a lot of people on top of that were motivated maybe by two things. Like I said, the symbolic and the kind of historical importance maybe of a nationalist first minister on the one hand. And then on the flip side, uh, really months running into years of uh, unionist and particularly DUP intransigence, disruption, and quite negative uh, politics in general. And I think that fed in quite a bit into Sinn Féin's uh, tally as well in terms of people wanting to send a message and to really kind of to, to, to send a message around that, that DUP um, antics really over the past 18 months or so, which was, um, I think, quite uh, uh, 
well, quite clearly um, uh, targeted at, at nationalists and, and um, quite unpalatable, the, the nationalists over the past period. This is what I'm I'm looking at. I'm, like all good interviewers, I'm looking at Wikipedia. So I'll just course. look at the, <laughs> the numbers. And, yeah, Sinn Féin's vote just went up 1.1%, uh, 27 seats. DUP on 25 seats, which is more than people were sort of discussing maybe last week. Mm. But their vote went down 67 the alliance went up 4.5, and then you know the UUP, the old big insular unionist party, mm. went down one and a half. And then the TUV, the new traditional unionist fight vote voice, went up. So you know, looking at this from you know a Yes Cymru member, a pro Welsh independence members uh, ahead, and then your party got a People Before Profit got a seat as well. So that's your first seat as well, isn't it? No, well, let's say we've we've been in the Stormont Assembly now for the past oh, I'm sorry. two mandates since 2016. Was the right. first and time then you're, you're also down in the Doyle as well. We are indeed, yes. So you and uh, Sinn Féin are parties which stride both sides of the borders. The other ones are are almost just uh, with the North, though there's some kind of relationship between the STLP and the Fianna Fáil. Fianna Fáil, and, and that's been... And, and, Broader than that as well, they had some other Fine Gael canvassers up as well during the election. So we're looking at the numbers. I mean, so the, the, the pro, if you like, unity party, Sinn Féin, um, SDLP, that's so, is around, what, I don't know, pushing 40. Uh, then the Alliance, well, tell us, tell us, listeners here in Wales, the Alliance Party are not so, they're trying to not be either nationalist or unionist, but how... If there was a vote for independence or reunification, how would they vote? Or would they vote against sort of referendum? Or how, how is they Because this I, is the big issue. I mean, yeah, and, it's, it, and in terms of the, the Alliance Party, it, it's an open question. Uh, certainly, um, going back to their roots in, in the 70s um, and 80s and, and onwards, uh, they would have, although they designated as other, really, I think a lot of, especially within the nationalist community, a lot of people would have seen them as unionists, maybe with a small U. In recent years, they've certainly made a move, and that's reflected in their growth as well, to open up um, in general to the nationalist community more. They've been pushed, I think, and the Irish language community has been very successful in doing that and and moving their position on Irish language rights. Um, Right. And those kind of questions. So certainly, there's it's more of a, an open debate within the Alliance Party. I would say maybe one or two, some other members might be for unification. Officially, they don't take a position yet. And I think were it to come up, um, it would kind of to it would generate a bit of a crisis maybe for that organisation because a lot of their, you know, their entire you know messaging and and multiple elections at this stage and almost their raison d'être is to avoid the age-old national question in the North and to to focus on maybe bread and butter issues and that kind of thing. Um, So it's unclear. I think certain a lot of the the ones who vote for them, they managed to take some seats from the SDLP this time around, um, would in a unity poll maybe vote uh, yes or could potentially vote yes, uh, certainly um, off the back of of Brexit. Um, More people have been looking at uh, Irish unity and the, the the rational element of Irish unity, if you like, and that may be attractive to some Alliance Party um, members. But as to their maybe their hierarchy, um, it's an open question. Although if I was a betting man, I would probably bet that most of them would be uh, pro union. Right. So I mean, I, I tell you what we do because most all the other, most a lot of the other discussions discussing you know, you know is the assembly going to reconvene? Is there going to be a government? We we'll, we'll avoid that. And just go concentrate on the 
the reunification question mm-hmm. and if you like the national question. So I mean, this is also peculiar. I saw uh, a polling done when well, I saw it this afternoon where you know essentially the support for reunification is strongest with younger people. And it's the same mm-hmm. here in Wales. And the only segment uh, which is against unification is the over 65 uh, year olds. And they, they're quite heavily against. And that's what swings it then to make it sort of a 49 to 51% in favour of staying in the union. I forget which side it was. But it's basically the older people which are keeping it for the staying in the United Kingdom. So does that, I mean, at the moment, the what, what's happening? Why are the, the unionist voters? Are there more unionist party members in the assembly than the na- people from the national community? Is our people from national committee are not voting, or they're they're still too young to vote, or what's happening there? Yeah, well, I I guess there's a number of different things to unpack there. I think in terms of the polls, um, just to go back to that very quickly, uh, yeah. like obviously. Uh, polls waver and and go up and down and stuff but I think what is definitely true um, is that there is an upward trend in support for unification and kind of at a qualitatively qualitatively higher level than we've seen that we would have seen 10 years ago um, that there's a definite trend um, and certainly that's helping to or partially kind of generating a crisis within some of of the unionist parties Um, but you know demographically if you like or in general I mean the shift from um, you know support for unification being as low as twenty percent to you know as as high in some polls as you know close to fifty fifty yeah. shows that while certainly there's a majority in Stormont of unionist representation, um, things are are kind of at a tipping point uh, certainly or potentially at a tipping point, and a lot of the old certainties. Um, aren't there anymore and I think for a lot of I think maybe a good way of looking at some of these things is to not overly bog ourselves down essentially in um the 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 minutia of you know this exact number or this exact percentage and say well look there's a a definite kind of trajectory here why is that happening and what should we be saying about that and how do we kind of continue that trajectory and in what terms what would we like to see come out of it in that way and it's certainly the case that um, unionism in general has struggled with it and it explains, uh, you know, the rise of the TUV, which would be a harder right um, yeah. uh, party within unionism that and, you know, off the back of Brexit and the protocol and a lot of those crises um, and the inability maybe of the DUP to, to manage its space between those hardline unionist elements and maybe some sections within unionism who which aren't maybe as... Or unionists certainly, but aren't maybe as worried or as worried about cooperating with nationalists who aren't maybe as um, I would be called softer unionists in, in that kind yeah. of way, and generating these whole host of crisis crises certainly, um, the representation is fallen. Um, I think maybe to add a note of caution to it, I think one of the mis- you know a stake mistake those of us who would like to see Irish unity. Um, uh, as soon as possible, if you like, and mm. who think Irish unity is irrational and it has the potential of kind of bringing about a better, you know, organisation of society here in Ireland, it would be to kind of um, to assume that that this trend will continue um, unabated. To assume that um, you know we've it's only a matter of of sitting and waiting, and the next election might you know finally. Um, bring it around or finally give us the numbers um i think that would be uh, the one mistake um certainly we can look at trajectories they're positive um 
but uh, I think we shouldn't rest on our laurels, if you like. So, so in terms of uh, winning you know, the argument and then the vote for reunification, how do you think, first of all, maybe say Sinn Féin would go for go at it, or how, and how, then how would maybe for the broader movement do or should be approaching that? Mm. Yeah, well, no, it's a good question, and that that is a very live uh, debate here um, right. at the minute, of course, as you can imagine. I mean, I think um, one of the positive things over the past number of years has been like kind of the mainstreaming of the debate, so it is not taboo anymore, um, which is very healthy, of course. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's been driven, I think, by a number of things. Obviously, the, the Brexit referendum um, has been key to that, and a Sinn Féin, of course, have have uh, much like maybe the SNP in Scotland to a certain extent, um, agitated quite a bit around European Union membership and the benefits of it versus and the, the kind of the crises um, in the north that the Brexit has generated and used that as a as a useful kind of propaganda tool around Irish unification. I think as well the general um, the general uh, which is true for, for kind of how Sinn Féin put the question across and I think for almost every organisation and tendency and whatever you like who, who support Irish unification is looking across the water at the British state, at the UK government and mm. the series of crises um, the kind of endemic corruption if you like, the um, the mismanagement, the scandal um, and also the, the, the kind of the consistent disregard for people in the north um, across, you know Certainly the pandemic, preceding the pandemic, um, and <laughs> almost being a continuous feature of, of northern politics that way. So I think those things have, have come together. I think Sinn Féin have effectively agitated on that. They've effectively used um, unionist intransigence in recent times and their, their own growth in the south. Um, a lot of their campaigning at the minute is around pushing the Irish government to take unification seriously, to plan for unification. That's a right. lot, you know, uh, what they're saying. Um, uh, that the, the Irish government has a responsibility to to avoid the mistakes of Brexit, if you like, and to right, to, yeah. um, to get ready uh, for unification. I also think um, they are trying more and more maybe to appeal to, say, that alliance party voter maybe to some of the middle ground in the north. Yeah, I mean, but would those people ever vote for Sinn Féin? Because, you know, that's the same here in Wales, so let's just, let's extend. But politics is all cultural, you know, the, the economics sort of come second. Uh, maybe the economic background of people affect how they vote, but a lot of it is to do with how they culturally feel comfortable comfortable with the party or lead, party's leader. So, I mean, would part of the strategy be strategy to be something like Sinn Féin let's say, leading the argument for independence, but they almost need a sort of non-Sinn Féin party, even non-national party, making a case for independence to try and bring in those people who are just never going to vote for a party because, you know, the family history and, and, and what have you. I mean, is that... I think one of the things that, that uh, Sinn Féin have done quite successfully, and I think maybe one of the things that explains the SDLP's decline in recent years is that... Um, Nationalism, I think, in the north is in a in a confident state at the minute, and Sinn Féin are confident, even though right. their actually pre-election campaign didn't speak about Irish unity all that much, to be yeah. honest, and really they didn't mention it as far back as September in terms of their their main uh, uh, social media advertising, for example. Yeah. But the SDLP have, have really dropped the ball, I think, in how they've agitated around it. They're not seen as 
um, they're seen as maybe being wary around the national question and, right. and unification as wanting to put it off. And um, I think then that has allowed Sinn Féin certainly to, to, to take quite a bit of that centre ground when it comes to uh, when it comes to unification. Right. Now, whether or not they can attract votes for Sinn Féin from those who, who have said um, that, uh, you know, they would never vote Sinn Féin, who maybe because yeah. of fam- family background or personal history or you yeah. know, a whole host of other things, could they lend a vote, or not necessarily lend a vote, but could they be convinced around unification? I think that, that takes a number, you know, a different um, kind of avenues, down a number of different avenues. Certainly, um the British government have done a lot of Sinn Féin's work and any of those who yeah. support unification, the work for them in a number uh, in the past number of years um, consistently. So, and I think that has, uh, you know, pushed, um, uh, yeah, it is I mean, it's clear for, for a lot of people. Absolutely. I think on, on top of it, though, as well, one of the important things around winning over those who maybe aren't Sinn Féin, who aren't, weren't previously one to a vision of a united Ireland has been a certain liberalisation south of the border, the separation yeah. or the growing separation of between church and state. I mean, there was constant, you know, going back 100 years here in the northern state, there was a, a constant kind of castigation of the southern state as, you know, a, a conservative Catholic state. Um, lar- largely and quite often that was true, um, you know, in terms yeah, of... Yeah, and, and, and we hear that, you know, in, in Wales, and you know, the argument we had here in Wales was, you know, if, if Wales becomes independent, we'd be as poor as people in Ireland. And look, the kids in Ireland don't have, don't have shoes on their, their feet, which type of thing is given, <laughs> my mother was told. I know, in the 1960s, in the Welsh economy, yeah, yeah. the 1960s, the Welsh economy is four times bigger than that of the Irish Republic. Uh, twice, twice the size, sorry. And today, today, the Irish Republic's economy is four times bigger than Wales is. So there's been an absolutely huge change there. And as you say, that it's a much more appealing state to be a part of than it would have been 20 or 30 years ago even. There's, there's still some caveats to that in terms of like yeah. the lack of a of a universal healthcare system south of the border, which is... That's the big... Ironically, the, the Ulster Unis voted against the NHS about four or five times in the 1940s when it was put forward by the <laughs> Labour government. But now it's been the, the strongest... Uh, yeah, obviously. It's the strongest card, uh, which is, you know, there is no NHS in the Republic. And this is the one argument we get in Wales as well, you know, where, you know, look at the Republic, they don't have an NHS. There is some kind of uh, health system there, isn't it? I, it sounds complicated to me outside. But is that a strong argument or...? Well, I think it's a, it's an important um, aspect of it, absolutely, and I think um, it uh, certainly previous to that as well was that the like I said the link up between say the Catholic Church and some of the laws around um, when say abortion, gay marriage, those kind of things, and there were recent referenda over the past ten years yeah. or so south of the border that have been won and have you know kind of been an earthquake in this island here and, and had their effect north of the border as well but there are outstanding questions around the catholic church's role in education um their role when it comes to um uh, even some health health care at the minute and also then just i exactly that on the on the health system on the lack of um universal health care uh those i think um Without changes on those, and they connect into not only do we want to see United Ireland, but what kind of United Ireland, yes. and that is the kind of the key to unlocking um, this question. Really, is about being able to connect the United Ireland with a, a vision for a kind of a progressive, a better place, um, one where you know a lot of the social ills we see north and south um, have a chance of being uh, eradicated. And uh, I think that is the 
what I was talking about earlier about not resting on our laurels and mm. laurels and not ex, you know expecting this just to happen, and that there's still a lot of work to be done to to not only you know envision a different kind of Ireland, but um, also having a plan in place to actually putting it you know putting it in practice and actually winning such an Ireland North and South that way. Yeah, and uh, ironically. Th- the position of the Catholic Church on things like abortion is probably closer to what a lot of the Australians actually believe in and the, the situation up there you have in terms of abortion in any case. So it's, it's quite a purely <laughs> situation where there's this big fear of the Catholic Church when, in a way, apart from the cultural side of it, one imagines a lot of the Protestant community would be quite happy with many of the laws uh, which they proceed to be against. Yeah, so, I mean, our politics here aren't always that consistent, <laughs> no, really. <laughs> they never are in no. any country. So, I mean, you know, with the... Um, so, I mean, so it's essentially, we're always saying that Sinn Féin would be, if, like, the lead party for reunification. You'd be looking at to have maybe another party or segments of it coming through. And then, there's, as you say, there's um, your party, uh, People for Profit, there's the SDLP, uh, there is there are a few other smaller parties... Um, on to, I'm not too sure if I pronounced that properly. Um, into, which, yes, into. Yeah, into, which didn't win a seat, but they, they got about 12,000 votes, and it's Irish Republican Socialist Party, which are, which are about 2,000 votes. So there's some smaller parties there as well, which you build up them if you like the, the pan-national vote. But I suppose you're, what you need, and what we've seen here in Wales, is that having a movement like Yes Cymru, which is not party political, is a way of bringing people in who, you know, for loads of different reasons, because people vote for parties for loads of different reasons, uh, having a sort of a, an arm's length movement like that, we found to be, has been absolutely, well, revolutionary here in Wales in terms of changing the argument. Is there something like that in Ireland? I'm, I'm aware of some Twitter accounts, I'm not to show the setup there. Is there, is there like a, a cross-party, non-party political movement for reunification? Well, there there has been in turn again, and it's reflective of the, where this debate has grown in, in recent years. There's been like kind of almost a plethora of like whether it's podcasts, whether it's certain like conferences, whether it's um, uh, splinter groups or uh, certain campaign groups. A whole host of these things have have, have uh, kind of burgeoned in the recent in recent um, years now, and none of them really have, I would say, at this stage established themselves as a leading one as right. of yet and in some ways I actually I would be of the opinion absolutely I think you know a, a way as movement as possible for, for unity would be useful I also think at the same time that um, quite a bit at the minute the stakes are high in terms of you know the the type of Ireland we would like to see and I think one of the things looking back at, at previous movements here in Ireland and we go back to the home rule movement um the beginning of the the 20th century and some of the previous mistakes around these issues has been to to essentially to to collapse some of our social demands behind the the simple um demand of of unification and uh i mean these are complex questions uh, and whatever but i think one of the healthy things at the minute is where the debate is at is not just a simple we're all in behind the same wagon pushing for unity we are exploring what that might mean and um, what that might look like and coming to those conclusions. And it hasn't, so far, it hasn't affected um, the kind of the push for unity. In fact, I think it's been the opposite, that that discussion, and which allows people to say, well, actually, you know, there's a housing crisis in the South, so if we're in a, a real kind of real sharp housing crisis in the yeah. South, could a new constitution guarantee a right to housing? Is that something we would like? 
And I think those kinds of questions in the past few years, rather than kind of holding up uh, uh, the push for unity because maybe there isn't full agreement on it, I think, uh, in fact, it's been the opposite. It has pulled people into the debate. It's shown that it's an open debate. It's shown that different people and groups can be part of it. Um, And so I think in in the short term and maybe in the medium term, uh, I think part of it is about people exploring these questions, finding avenues to to, uh, get stuck into these questions um, and seeing then on the other side of that, you know, what comes out of it, what are the kind of the core agreements we can come to around um, a new constitution, a new Ireland, what would it look like, what are our red lines, if you like, for a new Ireland, Um, you know, will it just be, as you know, the socialist Connolly once said, will it just be simply the changing of the flag from from one to another or mm. you know will will things on the ground change substantially as well um so i think it's an exciting time absolutely and i think lots of groups are vying to um to put their mark on on that uh, campaign and, and the movement at the minute and i think so far i, th- I think it's a healthy thing um and uh yeah and I, i'm excited about it, i feel like yeah, listening to Radio Yes Cymru with me, Sean Jobbins, talking to Sorlia McGeer uh, from Belfast about the situation up there in the north uh, following the uh, Northern Ireland Assembly elections last week. And we're looking at the general situation, especially with relationship to Irish reunification. Sorlia, there's so many questions. <laughs> I, I mean, one of the big things which has inspired people in Wales is, you know, the Beginning in the 20th century, you had the Gaelic League, the, the Gaelic League, the GAA, uh, you know, the the Abbey Theatre, all these great movements, you know, and a cultural awakening in Ireland, mm. and that sort of fed in then uh, to the the political um, mm. movement for independence. It seems to me, and you know, this is counterintuitive, maybe especially in the Irish situation. In ways, I think there is a new growth in culture and, and, and confidence. And we've seen that through our uh, football team, which is making great use of the Welsh language and Welsh language pop music. Uh, we're seeing it in people, uh, a very good Welsh language pop music scene. There's stuff going on like that, which I think is feeding into national awakening, if you like. Mm-hmm. But maybe in, well, you tell me, may, uh, maybe in the North, it's more difficult, in a way, maybe you want it to be less culturally if it because maybe that's the problem people have so people maybe would see the the economic argument say okay maybe united ireland you know the, the irish republic is now successful uh, it's, it's a very successful economy you know you have people like uh, david mcwilliams the economist who's talking mm. about reunification and maybe the thing which would make it difficult would be having this cultural awakening or is there, is, is there a way of working around that because it seems to me there's no independence movement as far as as I know in Europe, which hasn't had you know, a national cultural movement as well, but maybe in Ireland. Well, I think I think that's it. Don't need that. Yeah, no. I, I mean, I just, a... I just, because I just quickly. So, I mean, I'm just thinking. In the 1997 devolution referendum we had here in Wales, the first one in 1979 was thumped. You know, only quarter of the people voted for devolution. 1997, partly because of Margaret Thatcher and stuff like that, mm. voted narrowly for it. But one thing which did happen was basically the Welsh language was taken out of the whole debate. So there was a, there was some kind of understanding between Plaid Cymru and the Labour Party that you know Labour wouldn't make the Welsh language a, a football to be kicked about the place and scared stories, and to a large extent the Welsh language activists and movements sort of kept a back seat. We'd also just had a. Uh, Welsh Language Act in 1993, so people, some to some extent, the activists were quite tired and just wanted a break. <laughs> and that, ironically, sort of worked 
through to the election. But then around that, we had Cold Cymru, which is a, more of an English language uh, and less, if you like, um, I don't like the word divisive because the Welsh language isn't divisive, but it was less um, contentious to some people. So in a way, the having the less the less culture and to some extent helped us in 1987. So I don't know what's the situation with you there. I mean, can you have reunification without a cultural awakening, or is that not not possible? Yeah, well, no. I, like I know, I, don't, I I wouldn't say it's possible. And I think um, for us. Uh, here in Ireland, I and I actually think this historical example in in lots of different parts of the world and whatever is that often movements, whether they're independent movements or uh, independence movements or cultural movements or even just social movements of, of one kind or another, mm. they maybe make the mistake on one side or the other. So they leave aside, you know, if you're a cultural movement, maybe you've left aside the political questions, the, the economic questions, the social questions, and left them to another day. And then they come back to bite you yeah. and vice versa. You know, we, you know, we have a political or we, we take serious economic questions, the bread and butter, we take serious the, the political questions and the cultural stuff is cast by the wayside. And again, it comes back to bite you. So I think, I think really the only way, and I actually think, you know, if you look in the North here at the minute, certainly the, the growth in the Irish language uh, movement and, and recent campaigns going back to 2017 where there was a mass push for an Irish language act yeah. Maybe we can talk about that in a bit but how it um, and it came up against certainly it came up against a lot of unionist intransigence but it also you know forced the issue onto the agenda for for other parties as well and those who maybe purportedly su- supported the Irish language and in, just in general that movement I think raised the understanding of Irish in the north here but it also what it has done I think it has it to a certain extent it came along at the same time with a number of other crises here from the British government etc and it showed the 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 difficulties of the northern state um the difficulties of of uh of how the british government treats uh aspects of politics here and all these things came together in a, in a maelstrom really um and helped i think rather than hindered the 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 movement towards uh a united ireland certainly there's a i think a growing kind of co- comfort and confidence in an irish uh, cultural identity here in the north. Um, oh, okay, uh, but how um, would that translate to people who are not from the Protestant community? Yeah, but, uh, who are not, or who are sorry. Yeah, who are, who are not, there. Yeah, how, do they feel part of that? I can imagine, uh, you know, Catholics or you know, people from the national community feel a new confidence. I, I, I first time I went to Northern Ireland in nineteen ninety one, and I've been about five or six times since then. Every time I've gone, I, you can feel there's more confidence in the. In the national mm. community, if you like, but, I mean, well, I how... think the, the, a, no, no, that's it. I think there's a big question in general or, or in terms of where the unionist community are, and that's a broad label, um, and it's yeah. difficult. In the same way, the nationalist community is a broad label. You know, we have to separate some of the unionist parties from, from say, unionist working class communities who really haven't had any representation in in forty, fifty odd years. Um, uh, there are kind of examples that might surprise um, some of your listeners and, and do you surprise other kind of observers and whatever that one of the burgeoning Irish language communities um, and projects here in Belfast is in East Belfast which is a staunchly unionist area oh. there are people there who've, who've tried to uh, reclaim um, the Irish language uh, and or some of the, the how the, the where the Irish language has existed within unionist history here if you like in the north and and They've done a lot of work around, and of course, some of the people who kept the Irish language alive here in in 
in Belfast especially were um, uh, were themselves Presbyterians and so a, a group there in East Belfast have done stellar work and grown massively and, and have huge amounts of people coming through the doors learning Irish um, and I think I wouldn't say that debate is fully won at all and I would say obviously that um, that this doesn't necessarily mean that those people uh, are suddenly for United Ireland in fact oh. they've reclaimed the language in a very particular way yeah. um, but I think what, what the past what that shows and and what a number of other things over the past few years have shown is that a lot of the old certainties are up in the air here um the door has been pushed open ever so slightly on a lot of these questions um it may get closed again who knows but it may we may be able to push it open ever further we may be able to win arguments around um you know the need for deeper irish language rights we may be able to win arguments around well actually goes further than that can we re-envision society here in ireland you know within a united ireland um and i think uh you know, those like I said, those old certainties are are up in the air. It is a, 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 a an exciting time, certainly in terms of politics. It's a very um, uh, stark time in, in terms of politics. But I would be I'm more confident than ever, and I think a lot of Irish language speakers here certainly um, are more confident, more comfortable than ever um, in in our ability to project the language as as a language f- for all. Um, and to be able to do so in a way that doesn't kind of hide our politics, if you like, I think that's important. Um, uh, in a way that doesn't relegate politics or you know wider social questions, um, but because I think you know ultimately those all those issues are are tied, um, you know, inextricably tied together. Um, and I think we've managed so far, uh, especially the Irish language movement here, has managed so far to to kind of to, to connect them as much as possible. Um, because I think I think the 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 consequence would be is that um, I think one of the things we have to do certainly is to generally build trust and, and to show that what we say is what we mean. So if we're saying a United Ireland can be this, that and the other, a United Ireland is for all. A United Ireland you know, will have a, a universal healthcare system. A United Ireland will promote the Irish language, but to no one else's denigration. Um, we can't spring it on them in the last minute. We can't, <laughs> you know, we can't say, oh, an Irish language, the Irish language movement here is just about the cultural expression, which cer- certainly it is, and then bring a whole load of politics in the back door. I think we have a much better chance if we can um, we can be upfront with people. And uh, obviously, we can't run ahead of people. We have to meet people where they're at. We have to engage with them and take them seriously. Um, but we can't fool them either, because I think people will see would see right through that. Yeah, so I mean, I, I've got questions for the Irish language as well. So we'll come to that in a second. So just to sort of understand you know, the the, in fact, the projection and the of the, the movement for reunification, there is some kind of a, a grassroots um, civic movement. It'd be nice to have just a couple of names and maybe groups people can follow on Twitter or Facebook about that. And then oh, you're going to put me on the spot. <laughs> well, you'll come back I'll... to that in a minute. So okay, I mean, yeah. so so I mean, basically, with the project, if I can understand properly, is that you're saying, okay, we. We don't. We want a new republic, but that's been obviously the twenty-six counties, and they, they, that needs to change as well as the north. And you, you think that's a way of maybe bringing? Well, not only do you also believe it in in any case, but it's a way of bringing people into the discussion more than you know just um, you know we want to be a, a different mm. country, and, and and that's what we're finding here in Wales. Um, yeah, the, the House of Commons is is just a gentleman's club. <laughs> Yeah, it's just an incredible setup. Now, um, in Wales, we have the 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 
benefit to some extent is the Senate is, is still fairly weak. There's only so much we can do. There's still quite a lot we can do. Whereas uh, maybe the challenge for you in the North is you actually do have a, a sovereign parliament in the Doyle. And do people look at the Doyle and say, OK, well, they haven't done such a good job down there. Or do they say that or not? They don't. Or maybe they did more in the past. So I mean, how do you counter that? then? if people are saying, well, you know, you're talking about having a new island, but I've had a look at the public in, in the public and run by Fine Gael or Fianna Fáil, and they've had problems, you know, with, with corruption mm. back 20 years ago and stuff as well. No, absolutely. I think that's the key of it. And I think a lot of people, certainly in the, in the healthy part of the debate, has been around using the, the, the movement for a United Ireland to reimagine um, things on, on both sides of the border. And I think mistakes in, in, in the past have been about envisioning it purely as, as kind of planting the northern six counties onto the rest of the 26 that way and thinking everything will be okay. And I think uh, one of the things we, we would have to guard against um, uh, for two reasons is, is such a vision for United Ireland. First of all, I think um, it, it it behoves us really to to kind of demand better in mm. some ways. And I think, you know, the situations north and south are, are quite, <laughs> there's a lot of difficulty, there's a lot of poverty, there's a lot of homelessness, there's a lot of whole load of social issues that really um, just uh, kind of putting the two states together, unfortunately, without, you know, fixing things, um, uh, you know, won't be all that worthwhile. But secondly, exactly that in terms of, in terms of winning people to the idea, um, you need to associate it, you need to have a plan for associating it with, with something better across the board. And, and I think actually key to that in some ways is um, is that idea that it's not just a project for those in the north. United Ireland isn't just about the people in the north. Um, I think is a project on both sides of the border. And I think all those, um, whether it's you know all the different movements and different questions, and and those who take up the issue of housing, take up the issue of of a national health service in the south, take up oh. the issue of of the separation of church and state. Yeah. I think. As much as those can be linked in on both sides of the border, you know, the healthier we'll be, and the more it, it um, the more it, you know, improves the case for United Ireland. It does so because it, you know, has a potential of improving, you know, things on both sides of the border. Certainly, but also I think it shows those who are maybe sceptical with United Ireland. Mm. It would say clearly, well, look, the people who are advocating for United Ireland are true to their word on both sides of the border. They're they're um, they're fighting for for something better. They're they are advocating and, and campaigning for you know a whole host of, of different issues. So it's not just a, a fig leaf to say oh, United Ireland will be will be better on X Y Z. These people are saying uh, are saying it, and they're also trying to do it in the here and now. They're not waiting around. They're trying to do it in here and now. And I think uh, I think that will be key. So is there any traction? Within the unionist community, for you know, at the moment, there's an absolutely minuscule minority within the UK Parliament, absolutely relevant, except for the you know the, 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 what they're seeing over here as problems they're causing. But within a United Ireland, they'd be what one fifth of the population. It's just a significant block of people, um, and it'd be you know it'd be impossible to, to ignore mm -hmm. the wishes of you know the, the unionist stroke Protestant stroke you know. British, if you like, um, community in, in a united island. Does that hold any traction or is that just not thought of? No, I, I, well, it, it, it is. It, it does come up. I think it, it comes up in two forms. I think it's used sometimes opportunistically and we should be wary of that in the sense that there are those who haven't cared one iota either for the plight of, of uh, you know, kind of 
say working class communities on the Shankill Road who struggle with issues of housing mm. and poverty and whatever unionist community, um, and to you know and used opportunistically by those who don't really care at all whatsoever about the United Ireland, and used and thrown up there as a as a Trojan horse in some ways to to scupper you know these debates right. around the United Ireland and what it could look like, and I think we should be wary of that. While at the same time, you know we should absolutely um, care about the 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 fate of anyone in New Ireland, not certainly those from nationalist background, obviously who are advocating for it, is for those from a unionist background who um maybe are worrier aspects of it. And of course for the the, the ever increasing um growth of, of our new um New Irelanders, our growing migrant community. Yeah, I was gonna um, ask you about that. Huh? <laughs> we go into them. Are, are they are they Catholic immigrants or Protestant immigrants? You know, I mean, this is this is the seal joke yeah, around. Yeah, uh, like when, I mean, when I tell people I'm a socialist, people say, yeah. "Oh, you're you Protestant socialist." Yeah, oh, yeah, you're Catholic or Protestant Jew is the old, the old joke as well. So I mean, uh, I mean, the, I mean, I, I was in Belfast in in February with my son with a wine, and you know, I mean, it's um, Belfast is less multi-ethnic than someone like Cardiff. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, but I mean, there are people there obviously who aren't, you know, who, who are first generation, they moved to the to Belfast to work or something. I mean, is that the number so small that it's not really relevant or they don't take part in the discussion or is that, is that part of the discussion in the North? Yeah, well, I, I actually think, I don't think the discussion in the North has done enough to integrate them uh, and I say them, I mean, it's a broad, of course, it's yeah. a broad con- community with all sorts of different needs and backgrounds and all the rest. But um, they, there is more certainly to be done to, uh, and there, ha- there have been groups and there has, have been efforts and there was a, a, a kind of a, uh, one of the conferences going back to April last year, I think, had a platform on racism in United Ireland and, and or anti-racism. Uh, let me correct that in the United Ireland and I think there have been certainly some efforts to integrate um, the kind of the New Ireland New Irelander for lack of a better phrase experience into um, what a a New Ireland would look like because there there's been there have been increased issues of checks on the border for those um, uh, from the BAME community those who um, for people of colour these questions have been rising um, general and immigration has been rising as an issue south of the border too um, and so yeah there's more to be done and I think I take your point there in terms of maybe uh, the difference between Belfast and Cardiff and that's definitely true but I have, we know we've noticed an explosion here Um uh, and I think it's a healthy thing. It's, it's a good thing in terms of uh, the diversity that is seen in Belfast um, and across the north in general. It's not going anywhere. And I think, again, it's it's a key point of how we would like to uh, imagine a New Ireland. If we're saying a New Ireland for all, I think, you know, that that has to be a New Ireland for... We have to mean all by that, absolutely. I'm speaking to Soli McGeer, who's uh, from Belfast. Very interesting uh, discussion. I mean, we've gone over time, but I'm going to keep going because, you know, we've got you here. We've pinned you down. There's so many questions. Uh, We're going to move on to this Irish language issue because that sort of interests a lot of people here. Well, to me, and that's my gig, so I'm going to discuss it in any case because I'm interested. Um, You know, I like the North because it's more similar to the sort of the situation here. I like the the Irish language community in Northern Ireland. There's a bit of fight with it. There's a bit of uh, humour. It's not so bogged down, with, you know, with um, 
party politics from what I can see it's more about trying to get people on board and I was in Belfast mm. with my well in Northern Ireland with my son in February and I was watching the news and there's a new I think you touched on it earlier there's a new Irish language school opened in East Belfast right so I missed the beginning of the item mm-hmm. and I say this is fantastic and anyway here in Wales the, the Protestant faith was good to the language because they wanted to make sure that people could read and write uh, Welsh and to mm. read and write the Bible and something similar happened in the north and well as well and Belfast was you know the center of that because obviously Belfast was the bigger city so I mean is um what is the general situation because the peculiar thing for someone like we from Wales traveling to Northern Ireland is there's no bilingual signs <laughs> you know it's the signs are all in English and so they well mm. you know, surely there's going to be Belfast Belfast and Derry Doira and, you know, I mean there isn't any and that's that's, I always find that peculiar. So, I mean, there is a big argument there for the Irish Language Act, mm. uh, and there's been a huge uh, protest last few years, but certainly before COVID. So, what's the the units? I, I and I don't understand you know, politically. This is a really bad move by them because you know they could point to Wales and to Scotland with the language acts, you know. And here in Wales, the Conservatives, you know, they went for the act to begin with, but then they come round to it and they get used to it, and we have. People are conservative voters who to uh, speak Welsh, you know, the members of the Senate and Parliament. So there's no particular reason why this should be against the Irish language, and it just makes them look very stupid in our view. So, what's the situation now with the Irish Language Act? Yeah, well, it, it, uh, as we're speaking t- today or yesterday, I'm losing track of time. Um, it uh, the Queen's uh, speech. Um, you can tell me whether that was yesterday or today, but. Yesterday, um, yeah. Yesterday, yeah, uh, confirmed or mentioned the fact that some of the Irish language legislation, which had been agreed, finally agreed in January 2020. And when I say agreed, I mean it um, was signed up to both by uh, Sinn Féin and the DUP. So obviously the largest nationalist and the largest unionist party. Um, they, they signed up to this legislation. It didn't materialise during COVID. There are a number of reasons for that, but... As time has gone on, it's been very clearly because again, uh, unionist parties especially have been blocking it. Um, and uh, one of the, uh, could say, solutions to that has been that uh, under pressure, the British government then took the issue out of uh, Stormont's hands uh, temporarily and said, "We, if, if Stormont doesn't legislate this you know, package that was agreed. Um, and to be clear, the the Irish language legislation that is involved is um, nowhere near the strength of what uh, is available to you in, in Wales. It's no, well, we had, we've had three, you know. So well, that's I think true. From what I understand, something, something, you're basically going to get something which is similar we had in 67, 1967. So, I mean, yeah, it's very, this is how, very basic. Um, yeah, it is basic. And this is why it's so, and such a bad move from the, the unionist community just to but I suppose they just want everything to look as much well, it, like Surrey as they can. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it doesn't, it obviously is illogical. Just so, yeah, to finish, it was mentioned finally there in, in the Queen's speech, a bit of controversy around how long the British government have dithered on this and whether or not they've broken yeah. the word. And we're still waiting on a date. And I think really the, the the most important thing for the Irish language community is to not celebrate or uh, take anything for granted until we're given a, a yeah. particular date and actually until it's signed off on. But yeah, in terms of... of the fact that the unionist, unionist parties um, still can't bring themselves to um, support even such paltry legislation. And again, given the fact that, um, you know, uh, within the rest of the union, there are similar pieces of legislation. Um, uh, and it doesn't, uh, should be said, doesn't 
just apply to the Irish language. They, they similarly um, opposed uh, abortion reforms here in the North as well, even mm. though um, they, it would be following uh, legislation across the water as well. So there's a lot of inconsistencies, a lot of contradictions there. Um, I think that the, the most basic explanation essentially is that um, unionist parties themselves uh, are in a crisis, they're in a long-term crisis, and they're caught in a bind um, and we've seen it this election again, and that is a lot of their base, uh, and I do separate unionist parties from their base and, and people who describe themselves unionists, these things are all complex and everyone falls into the same category, but in general unionist parties have, have tried to rail up, I think, their base over over decades really, um, and it's gone from sometimes blatant sectarianism um, to maybe now sectarianism by proxy in the in recent years. The DUP especially haven't necessarily had the freedom. You can't get away with essentially blaming the Catholics. You can't get away with essentially, you know, blaming nationalists, although they, they do do that sometimes. But a, a useful um, point of attack to kind of rally support to their base. Um, and we should remember the Unionist parties are the type uh, the DUP cheered in Westminster um a year or two ago when nurses were refused a pay raise um they are, are quite white right, right wing some of them are more right wing than the, the tories so they have a constant struggle to keep on some of their working class base and they usually do that by what we would term over here beating the drum essentially and that is yeah yeah you know quite often um and recent years that the drum has been around the irish language act that has been set up as a boogeyman it's been set up as yeah. you know undoing the strength of the union as being a, a, a kind of a, a nefarious under the bed republican plot um a lot of this is absolute tripe and nonsense but the difficulty is of course is that once you've done that for years once you've railed up your base on this issue if you climb down from it, you've you've you're showing yourself to 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 sell out. Um, you will then kind of and there will be there and there have been parties. The TUV, um, as we mentioned, have been waiting on yeah. the ring on the wings and have accused the DUP of exactly that of going soft on the Irish language, of going soft on um, on uh, you know parties and nationalism etc. And so the DUP have caught themselves in a bind, and I've no sympathy for for them in no. that sense. And that uh, well, I mean, yeah, the, the, the beat in the drum, the anti-language rhetoric was you know, was very common here in Wales in the nineteen sixties and seventies. And sort of, it's only since I mean, well, this century really that sort of died down. It's still about you know, sort mm-hmm. of kid ourselves, but I mean, uh, much less than it is. Um, what I find here in Wales peculiarly may be that people do feel the language that divides people, and, and it does to some extent because you know, people speak it or they don't and stuff. But on, in another way, it's also a way of which unites people. So you do have people who have worked who are supportive of the language in general ways, or maybe they are maybe like Cymru or Labour or in other parties, and that cooperation, maybe or something around the language or a cultural event, gives mm. people a perspective on another point of view, and then they can work in other things. I mean... Is it too optimistic to see that something, and I think that's been a big part of what's happening with us, where to some extent there's a coalition, an informal attempt between Plaid and Labour. And I think because there's been a lot of cooperating on stuff to the language or people just they share the same culture, literally they go to the same music and stuff like that. Is something like that possible where maybe the language is a, is a, is a bridge or is a, because anyway, the Catholic Church is no good to the Irish language either. I mean, you know, what happened when, in the 1920s, to some extent, that the Free State co-opted the Catholic Church and 
they didn't do much. Well, they did more than the six counties did for the Irish language. But I mean, Catholicism they hasn't. They did, yeah. Yeah, so Catholicism itself hasn't been very good to the Irish language. Uh, and, you know, t- to some extent, the Protestants, certainly going back 200 years ago, can say they had, they were far more supportive in many respects. And I would say that the, that group in East Belfast, uh, Taurus, yeah. um, and it's interesting enough that they chose the name Taurus, it means, in, in, means journey. Right. And I think part of that is to kind of evoke the idea of, of being a journey when it comes to, to the Irish language that way. And I do, I do think absolutely, um, I mean, they've, the Council of Europe and something we use quite effectively in our agitation here in the North, Council of Europe have, have been very clear that actually um, visible displays and regular contact with, in our case, the Irish language, but minority languages in general, mm. increase understanding. They, you know, help to, to undo some of the barriers and some of the misinformation around those things. And I think it's it's been clear in East Belfast as the the um the visibility and as Terrace's efforts around um the Irish language have increased, so has the understanding, so has the acceptance. Um and I wouldn't I'm not gonna go overboard with this and say, you know, yeah. it can all change in, in five five years' time or whatever. But I absolutely do have hope. I think recent uh years have, have shown that the increase in the number of people who are learning the language. The the classic example of course I'm sure not telling your listeners anything they don't know around um place names. Um yeah. a lot of our, place names here in English um, that we have here in the north and across Ireland are derived from the Irish language version and of course they mean gobbledygook in in English but when translated into the Irish they they kind of open up a a door to history, local history which people find very very useful um so i think we can there's a lot of that a lot of that's already ongoing i think more certainly can be done we're seeing a lot of it um uh now as well on university campuses, one of the things that's one of the big positive kind of outcomes of, of recent years campaigning is the growth of Irish language um, at university among students, among oh, those who will go out into different sectors of society um, and will go out with uh, a, a kind of a more progressive understanding of the Irish yeah. language and, and a, a more basic understanding of it. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm very positive about those things. There's obviously a long way to go and stuff, um, but the, I think we what the past few years have shown is that these things can change very quickly. We don't always have to wait on minute kind of improvements. Um, we've seen a massive upsurge in, in recent years in understanding and, and interest. Um, and uh, it's, yeah, and, it's and, actually and a, the, a great time. Yeah, and that's what minute. I find appealing when I go to the north and why I find the north of Ireland more interesting than the south is because there's that um, cultural activism, certainly around the language. You go to the cultural land on Falls Road, there's a cultural land down in Armagh, the stuff going on there. And, you know, I was telling my boy, your wine, when we're driving on Northern Ireland in February, and you know, the next time he goes there, there will probably be bilingual road signs, or signs in Irish, not just in English. And, you know, that's something, you know, which I'm quite confident will happen um, sometime in the future. Look, we've been talking for about an hour, which is much longer than usual. There's no there's no tax, of course, on how much we talk, but, I mean, it's good to talk. We're going to try and finish off, uh, and, and I am going to ask you to put sort of a timeline on reunification. Now, when I was in Belfast with with the wine, we took one of the uh, the black cab tours, as one does, mm. and we had a very good tour with Paddy, um, who was obviously from the national side, but you know it was, it was very good. And we went over to the Shankill, and he was, I think, did a very good presentation. There's no sort of denigrating any side or the other. And when I asked him at the end, you know, when do you think reunification will happen? And his view was was in 40 years' time because there's so much history, you know, to work through. Um, 
these things are always difficult. <laughs> but I'm going to put you on the spot, on the spot, uh, Sodia, because I know a lot of people over, over here would like to have some idea. You know, when will Ireland be? When will Ireland be reunified? Do you think? Well, I would like to hope um, before uh, forty years. <laughs> I think we can be slightly more ambitious um, than that. I, I guess it's hard to put a number on it. I, w- I would say two things very quickly. First yeah. of all, is that massive changes can happen in a very short space of time yeah. obviously uh, and I think um, uh, we can uh, although things are going in the right direction at the minute like I said if we don't sit in our laurels and and, um, and obviously if you know the the Tories and Downing Street continue on their current track record yeah they're um, great aren't they <laughs> absolutely fantastic advertisement um, for, for for things so obviously yeah. these things can change um, quite a bit uh, so I, I would be um more uh, confident but of course there is the, the massive uh, stumbling block if you like and that is you know in terms of the Good Friday Agreement that's around it's uh, the British Secretary of State who has the, the final say on when a border poll will be called. Now I think yeah. if were there a referendum I would be very confident that the side could win simply because I think we could put across um, a vision for a new Ireland and a better Ireland yeah. Um but it is about, I think, building that momentum on both sides of the border. Uh, and and to do that, I think we need to to win a wider layer than those who already um, support it. And I think we do that by connecting it, like I made the points before, to a whole host of different social and political questions. And if we can do that successfully, um, we can build that momentum on both sides of the border. And then it is about um, making that kind of clamour so loud that uh, they can't, but hear us over in, in, in Downing Street. So I don't think it's uh, 40 years at all. I think some of those things might take a bit of time, but I think there will come a point where there's a tipping point yes. and things might move quite quickly. Um, yes, I, so I, 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 if you put, put a number on it, <laughs> um, we'll say I'll give it five to ten years, no problem. Good. That's what I said. We'll come back to in five or ten years. Sorry, McGee, to see how how your prophecy worked out. But I think you're right. I think things can change quickly. I think there is a tipping point you know, demographically, also in terms of the the age. But I think um, things will move with Ireland as well. And I think there's a, there's, a, there's a crisis in the the confidence of the British state. And you know, as Gaynor, our producer, has just told me there's a very good article which I read um, by Fergal, Fergal Keane, I think. Uh, this week in a paper, so I mean that's something which maybe we want to check out. Um, I really enjoyed the conversation. So, uh, so Liam McGeer, thanks for making the time for us. Much more than we expected. This, but there's a lot to discuss. I'm very glad we've had an in-depth conversation about the elections in Northern for the Northern Ireland Assembly, uh, the general situation and thrust of the, the reunification movement, and there, and obviously the situation with the the Irish language in the north, which I find very exciting and interesting as well. Um, you've been listening to Radio Yes Cymru with me, Sean Jobbins. We're going to be trying to be podcasting two or three times a, a month with stuff to do with the Welsh independence movement and the independence movement uh, in Ireland and Scotland as well. Uh, follow us on Facebook or Facebook and Twitter. Follow us on your, whichever app you use uh, and tune in to the next Radio Yes Cymru. There's a lot of good stuff on the way. Sorry, thanks a lot for making the time to speak to us tonight and hope and we'll keep in touch with you. Gurmeel Margaret, thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Yes. Yes. Yes, Cymru Radio. Independent news and views for an independent nation. Yes. Yes.